Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And I'm really happy to have this guest on today. I think uh, you guys will get a lot of insight, uh, not just about um, not just about botanicals, but I think uh, about a human journey and a, and a human story that I really connected with. So I want to introduce Mr. Don McLaughlin, who is the founder and CEO of Pure Power Botanicals. Thanks, Don, for coming on. Lynn, thanks so much. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Likewise, let people know, we, we sort of talked about this a little uh, before, but there were some parallels to our journey. So let's let's tell people, where did you grow up? Where were you born? Where, like your your childhood? Sure. And I'll just say at the outset, yeah, I think the parallels between us, right? Uh, health crises that, that, that it can be, you know, a catalyst for transformation. Uh, and, and that uh, certainly has been part of my journey. So I grew up uh, one of seven in a traditional Irish Catholic family in, in northern New Jersey, uh, you know, uh, sort of in a way, second generation college, you know, and, and, uh, work hard was the mantra, uh, and, and certainly fueled me from a very young age, both, you know, in my school and, and, and athletically. And that kind of set up so much of what we'll dive into and talk through in terms of, you know, the crisis that, that, that I, that I, uh, created for myself and found myself in. Well, I want I want to unpack that a little bit. First of all, I want to let people know that when people from Jersey and and they always specify Northern versus South Jersey because one of his suburbs of New York, one is a suburb of Philly. 
So uh, you're you're the New York uh, summer. Yeah, fair enough. And I was lucky enough to go down to the Jersey Shore uh, for pretty much every summer of my whole. All right, which which shore did you go to? Uh, so uh, Northern Shore, uh, South Asbury <laughs> Park. Uh, exactly. So I went to when I was a kid. I went to Wildwood, and I graduated, and and I actually owned a place in Margate, New Jersey, South Jersey. So well, was, uh, there, there's there's many parts of Jersey that are they're very beautiful. Uh, it was just a little bit too crowded for me in many respects, and I really need uh, being in the mountains. And so I, I went to undergraduate at the University of Vermont, and ultimately uh, my heart was set on going to Colorado, and I moved to Colorado in uh, in the fall of 1996 to finish law school. Cool. So let's go back to the childhood. So you're one of seven. Uh, what's the what's the ratio of girls versus boys, and where do you fall yep. into the seven? Yep. I'm right in the middle, so three above and three below me. Uh, four sisters and two brothers. And uh, as I say, you know, pretty traditional, uh, you know, Irish Catholic family, so much so that when I studied abroad my junior year uh, of college, I uh, made my way to Ireland. And I'll never forget getting off the the ferry in Dunleary, south of Dublin. And it was uh, night time and families were waiting outside the gates for everybody disembarking. And uh, just the interactions between people would just raise the hair on the back of my neck because it, it felt so familiar, right? Uh, and so, uh, well, yeah. for those of us who are not uh, Irish Catholic, uh, old school, traditional, when you say that, is it more of a, the, 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 ro- the specific roles of how the male figure in the family speaks to the boys versus the girls? Is, is that what you're talking about? A part of it? No, more, but part of it, but more so for me is the central role that, 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 that church life uh, plays, ah, family it. life. And, and that's one dimension to it. And, and the other would say is, you know, that, yeah, we were, you know, a family of immigrants, you know, a couple generations removed, but those, you know, the, those threads definitely still alive, uh, even in the seventies and eighties when I was growing up. Yeah. The same way I'm, I'm an immigrant. So I was born in Lithuania and I came over when I was six, you know, six years old or so. So I grew up in a old school immigrant family. So yes, there's traditional, but there's traditional plus immigrant. That's a whole other story. Yes, uh, and, and your parents were are together, were together, stayed together, yes. correct? Still, 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 still together. Uh, Sixty years. Uh, just visited them down in Florida. They're in their early to mid eighties, and um, you know, uh, they uh, they continue the work that uh, keeps them moving forward. You know, Habitat for Humanity and soup kitchens and tutoring. So uh, I admire so much about uh, the, the way they raised us and my upbringing, even though. You know, I had my own uh, issues and sort of stepped away from the church uh, formally for my own reasons. So, once again, I, I'm this isn't about religion or anything. That I'm just I'm just thinking about a traditional sense and and different people I speak to when they have a traditional family, the church or the synagogue or the that that becomes a central part of their life. You have to go, you have to go to Sunday school and all that other stuff. But you're also taking some of those things from church back home with you and it creates a a dynamic of certain pressures that start being built and guilt i think is a big part of it i i don't know once again but it's more of a question uh in, in yeah. form of a statement that yeah. yes if you don't there is going to be a consequence yeah. and the consequence is not only you know a spanking or a whipping there could be a greater consequence yes yes uh so true and 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 so much of uh, that is only now through the lens of you know having 
you know, uh, early fit my I'm in my early fifties, so I can look back on things and make better sense of uh, some of those uh, things that were real drivers for me. And and guilt and sort of reward punishment was built within that for sure. And um, you know, for me personally, what it translated into was a constant uh, drive to uh, you achieve. Uh, quite honestly, uh, it, the form of recognition, right? I, I, I struggled academically. I wasn't really a standout athlete and athletics were huge in my family and still are. And so I made up for it through a really hard work academically to, you know, make up for the tutoring that I needed early on. I just really struggled. And that led ultimately to, you know, me reaping the rewards but also starting to ingrain some deep-seated patterns that you know led to sort of workaholism, right, and and almost an addiction to uh, achievement in many respects. So, so I'm going to put my my shrink hat on for a second. Would would you say that there was a pattern? You had brothers that probably excelled in sports. Dad was like, "Oh, you threw a touchdown. I'm going to give you love." Uh, Don, you did nothing. You don't get love because you didn't throw a touchdown. And if you're doing something, you're like, oh, there's some love that's coming. So it reinforces that pattern. Yeah, yeah, and 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 of no fault of you know my parents. And now as a parent of three, I can see the same dynamics that are just almost unavoidable, right? That is perceived in my mind as an eight year old, nine year old. Right. As that sort of exchange. Right. And, and Don Miguel Ruiz, I think, talks about this so much in the Toltec tradition of how we're conditioned early on. And, and I certainly experienced that. I think we all do to a certain extent. But for me, yes, very much so. You know, I was an average athlete. Some of my siblings, all four sisters, collegiate athletic scholarships, uh, my brother's collegiate athletics uh, standout record holders at places like Georgetown. And so for me, I was a, a, a solid athlete. But for me, I saw this academic, I just had to do more work, right? Whether I had some uh, learning disorders or whatever, I just had to work harder. And it paid off, right? Uh, Through high school, went to St. Joe's in Montville, New Jersey, and finally figured it out, did fairly well toward the end of my high school years. And then, you know, got into the University of Vermont, kind of a stretch for me. But I just spent... I went there because I love the idea of being in Vermont and 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 the state and, the, and and being out in nature. But I spent you know so much of my collegiate years locked up in my room or in the library studying. Being an attorney is this is this like I'm growing up and somebody says I want to be a fireman, I want to play an instrument. Well, shit, I want to be an attorney. Is that was that like a dream or a goal no, growing up? No, in fact, very much the opposite in, in many respects. And, and here's why. Because interestingly enough, my mother's side, uh, her a father and her three brothers, all lawyers, fairly prominent lawyers in northern New Jersey and Hackensack in particular. Her father, my grandfather, was a judge in Hackensack for years. And I grew up in that environment to an extent. And I, you know, was a little bit uh, you know, ambivalent, and then in certain respects turned off by it. Um, but uh, and I didn't know precisely why. Um, it, it, I think I was drawn to you know more uh, of a of a, I viewed like a, a life full of adventure and, and not you know suits and ties and arguing in court. But there was also some attraction to it. And you know, as I graduated University of Vermont, you know, magna cum laude, you know, Phi Beta Kappa. 
uh, three, you know, eight GPA. I, I was not sort of ready for going into the corporate world, right, or immediately going to law school. And it took a few years of just going out there and trying a few things. First in holistic health at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. That was my first official job as an intern after I graduated from University of Vermont. But at this time, you know, 1992, yoga meditation was like, you might as well, you know, fallen from Mars, right? And so I didn't know that would be a, a, a career path. And so ultimately, this turn in that law school ends up like, oh, you know, it was a bit of a big trade off for me. And, and um, I've, you know, I think like to think I've made peace with somewhat of a deal with the devil, you know, leaning into a career <laughs> that I knew I was doing it primarily because that I saw it as a path to everything that I'd been conditioned with and I conditioned myself with growing up again in the 70s and particularly the 80s about what is, you know, a reputable career, right? And one that's going to bring financial reward, which you know, growing up in the 80s, that certainly was something that was fueling me in a big way. Yeah. And we're, we're around the same age too. I'll be 51. So uh, it's a couple of things you brought up that really um, resonated with me because I remember I got a job at Price Waterhouse before it was Price Waterhouse Coopers. And I had it on my on my card. It was like senior manager of blah 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 blah. My dad was so proud of that card that it's it's the big six, and it's the. It didn't care if I was happy. It was a very miserable existence being in in that environment. But and I I had no business of working for anybody because I don't do well with with authority for other reasons uh, that somebody can interview me about. <laughs> but uh, that that whole thing is uh, you saying that the pride of the, the success is measured based on your finances. Obviously, you're doing well, and that you are reputable. You're you're doing something. You're you're not making money. You know, owning a pool hall or something like that. Even though you could be financially well off, much better than being a lawyer. But you're a lawyer. You wear that suit, you have the nice polished shoes, you go in the courtroom and, uh, you know, it's something they can be proud of, uh, of you. Yes. And, 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 you know, and, and with the best intentions, right. Uh, and particularly coming generationally on the heels of like survival, each you know generation, right. Advancing the ball. And, you know, for me, I just, you know, took the, the hook, you know, uh, for sure. And, and that's not just for my family. It was like societal, right? Growing up in the 80s, there was such a, a press toward achievement and all of that, but, you know? And, and, and so, um, you know, for me, it took years to realize uh, how I had taken the hook. And it led me, you know, further and further away from myself that, that led to this crisis, you know, in my life 25 years later. So, so let's let's talk about that crisis. What led up to it, and how did it manifest itself? And what were you feeling throughout the process? Like I, I remember reading or, or listening, there was some anxiety and stress. But how does that manifest itself? Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, let's fast forward. So yeah, I, I, I commit to law school. Uh, you know, start my legal career as an assistant DA, and then move into a big law firm and. On that law firm, I'm sort of on the partner fast track, and yet I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of hemorrhaging. This is right around uh, 9/11 had a big impact on me because I was working on the 30th floor of a high rise in downtown Denver, luxurious office, but I just knew, you know, it, you know, it, I had to make a change, 
And I ultimately did um, that led me into the mountains in Steamboat Springs and a, a, a dream job uh, working at the ski resort in Steamboat Springs as sort of an in-house lawyer slash risk manager. And I only did that for a short time until I got sort of pulled back into that, you know, much faster paced, hard charging legal world. But, I but, but why? So, so you have a job that you're sort of, you're, you're digging it, right? Like it, it connects with you. You're also working hard, but you have a connection. And then there's something that you said that pulled you into, is it, is it a financial opportunity? Is that what it was? Yeah, I think a, a, a combination of sort of financial opportunity Right. A, a recognition that I had a hundred K in law school debt still to pay down. And I didn't yeah. want to be paying that for 30 years. And also I, I, I'll say this sort of addiction that I've mentioned around achievement and workaholism, some of that, like I, I've just noticed patterns in my life that the bigger the challenge, I tend to lean into it, which has led to this, you know, mini career in running 50 and then hundred mile dis- you know, distance ultras. Right. Um, but that's what it was. It was that combination of things, and and I'm grateful for the opportunity. But it set up this uh, this 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 fall, right? Where I'm, you know, an in-house lawyer that 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 materializes into an opportunity for me to found a a a, a consulting and tech services firm uh, that I did in early 2007 called Falcon Discovery, and our sole objective was to help organizations and legal departments in particular deal with the complexities around data. Right for investigations and lawsuits and compliance. Right, that that business starts to take off, and I'm experiencing this success like I'd envisioned. Right, a multi-millionaire. Right, at least on paper. Even though over time, you know, I'm you know taking on debt to grow this business, ultimately to the tune of a million dollars. Right, that 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 the house is mortgaged for, and 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 all of it. And the pressure just continued to mount, right? So mounted, founded that business in 2007, 2008 financial crisis happens. Uh, you know, I saw that in 2009, in 2010. It wasn't like the 08 crisis just, oh, six months later, right? You recall, it was a prolonged, right? And that was unsettling because I'm growing a business, I'm borrowing money, and I only have a few clients at that time, very, very small number of clients. And yet- you know, payrolls growing, all of it. And um, coupled with that, when I uh, got a little bit caught up in the opportunity to grow a business to multi-million dollar level, and then it's like, oh, where do you stop? Oh, oh, where do you stop? So in the first few years of running the business, I had two separate parties come with formal offers to buy the business for several million dollars. And um, I turned them down. And uh, that was a little bit of a conflict for me. Um, because I, you know, I, I, I was worried about the pressure and the, and just the strain and stress of working now with these corporate legal departments, some of whom are in front of the department of justice, they're on the front pages of some of the nation's newspapers. And that's the stress that comes along with it. Ultimately though, when I just, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I started to go into a dark spiral, uh, and, and really the anxiety of, a growing business, debt that I was carrying. I'm, you know, as an entrepreneur, when you have payroll, you know, you start to understand what it's like to feel like responsible for others' livelihood. And that certainly weighed in. And so, you know, that also showed up in depressive episodes where I'd be down for, you know, an hour, a couple hours, a couple days where I'm just, you know, I'm really struggling. And, you know, I got help. Thank God I got help. 
and was prescribed antidepressants um, and, and ultimately on Zoloft. And, and, and that sets up uh, the, this crisis because um, I, I felt like I couldn't really get off of the, the, that. Uh, so on the one hand, I'm using the antidepressants to help me deal with the anxiety and the depression. And on the other, you know, alcohol is, a, is, is an escape, right? I'm definitely coping through, you know, excessive use of alcohol, not like debilitating, but, you know, abusive. And, and ultimately, uh, at the, at, uh, the, the night of my youngest brother's uh, wedding rehearsal at, at the luxurious Broadmoor Resort in Colorado Springs, I just go off the deep end. And it, it results in me coming to at around 5 a.m. on the floor of, of this, uh, you know, white marble floor of this uh, really nice uh, uh, hotel room. And I'm a mess, literally. I'm in the Ralph Lauren suit I'm wearing the night before. There's vomit all over the, the bathroom. And I don't know, you know, I, I'm barely making heads or tails of how I ended up there, right? I shuffle out into the hotel room. Uh, my then wife, our three children are gone. Their bags are gone. I'm thinking in that moment, my life has just completely imploded. And um, I, I had over the next uh, few hours, uh, 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 what I can only describe as a, as a, as a spiritual awakening in, in many respects, you know, just broken so wide open that I came to terms with a, a lot in a very short period of time. And the trajectory of my life really changed from that moment forward and, and, and leads to so much to what we're going to talk about. Yeah. I mean, so much great information. I'm so grateful that you're transparent and sharing this because I, so many people go through the same exact thing. They don't talk about it. And people think, you know, Rumi has this thing that, that the, uh, uh, the wound is where the light enters you kind of uh, uh, saying. So it, it, what you're saying, breaking wide open, I, the visual of that is is perfect. Uh, but you went to get help. So just just so people can understand, because I want people to really, really understand how mental health is so important. It's not about, oh, you know, I had a complete breakdown. You can be complete, still doing your thing and working and struggling and suffering in silence and nobody knows. And even if you're getting help, you go to a uh, psychopharmacologist uh, and they'll say, yeah, you know, we can talk about your problems, but here's a pill for you to take. Uh, and then you're taking that pill. And for me, like I was diagnosed with ADD. So I, I've taken some of these medications back in the day. And I'm not saying they don't work, but they sort of take the life out of you. That, that soul. So the, you're still dealing with things but you're actually not able to feel as much. You're, you're numbing. And you're like, this numbing feels pretty good. Let me add a couple more things. Well, what if, what ha, what's Zoloft? How was the interaction my Zoloft or my Percocet or whatever with my alcohol? Well, that feels interesting too. Let me continue that cycle. And that's where, you know, you end up on the, on the floor. That's right. And, and, I, and, and one of the things that I came to terms with is I, I couldn't keep living that way. I, I just, the lifestyle was, un, was unsustainable. And, you know, the first thing that, that really, and I've shared this uh, a little bit before, the first thing that really opened everything up was bizarrely, uh, and I've been, in, uh, I've been in touch with the author of a book uh, called uh, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by uh, Kamal Ravikant. Um, and uh, um, I, I read that book several months before this moment in November of 2012, when I wake up on the floor. And within the hour of waking up, uh, I, I start saying this mantra that he talks about in the book. I love myself. I love myself truly, deeply, unconditionally. And I didn't even 
I mean, that was the lowest I'd ever felt in my entire life. And this comes to me. And I remember how disorienting it was, Len, because I it literally felt surreal. Like, how could I be saying this when at that moment I felt like the biggest piece of shit and somebody that, you know, had had really imploded in front of my whole family and, and um, and, and, and one of the things that came in the aftermath of that saying that mantra was this deep appreciation for life, my life, the, whatever force had kept my heart beating the night before uh, that force, I was so grateful for. And, and, and many things that I'd taken for granted all of a sudden came into a clear view that then then propelled me forward in a, in a way that again like changed the trajectory of my life, uh, and and then it started with health. I knew that I had to change my orientation toward work and the way I was treating my body. What were you uh, doing? Any endurance uh, running or, no. or racing before no. that? That still all happened afterwards. It did. Um, I mean, you're you're lucky in a way because I, I know so many people that were in that you know take door number one or door number two and door number one is darkness. I don't see any way out of it. And they go into a, even a deeper spiral, but you had a, you know, it's well right that you made that, that choice. Yeah. And in certain respects, Len, I feel like I, I, I've been down that dark hallway before this moment. Right. Um, and it's all unique for each of us, but that's how it felt to me, a, a dark hallway with no exits when it was yeah. really bad. But yeah, when this when this happens, it wasn't even me, and it sounds so you know uh, 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 sort of amorphous and sort of woo woo. But what can I say? Right, I'm like a rational, analytical person, and yet I had these shifts that weren't born right with me, like logically yeah. working through them. So leave that for what it is, right? I now identify that as a higher force that I've leaned into much more in my life since 2012. And one of the ways that showed up was like a, a renewed commitment to find a way out of this cycle of using alcohol to cope and using the antidepressants to also cope, right? In ways that did leave me feeling a little bit numb and just, you know, propped up by caffeine like all day, every day, right? I didn't get into the Adderall and other things, but I knew what I was doing wasn't sustainable. And also I had this multi-million dollar business that I was still a face of that was somewhat sliding sideways because I saw I was sliding sideways. And so I committed uh, that morning to do two things. One is stop chasing more for more sake. I just said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put everything I have back into this business and see it flourish another day beyond me. I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew it would if I did that. And then the second is that I was going to completely overhaul my lifestyle. And uh, that led me on a journey uh, over the next months in late 2012 and early 2013 to read anything and everything I could about alternative to antidepressants, uh, a more energetic diet. So that let me, you know, led me to you know, books and articles. One book that was very transformative was written by a, a fellow lawyer, Rich Roll, called Finding Ultra. And uh, that opened my eyes to a plant-based diet and also how athletics could be a way to maintain a healthy lifestyle. And, and that opened the world to, to me of ultra-endurance trail running, 
when I read Christopher McDougall's book, Roaring to Run, and I was inspired. I was inspired. I liked hiking, um, but I didn't have much time. So I thought, let me try this trail running. And, and, and then, you know, uh, so many positive things started to pile up on one another because of that really dark night of the soul that had me so committed to get healthy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, so many parallels. I can't even uh, begin to explain the, the whole physical and taking care of your body. I, I, I went through a pretty uh, interesting uh, place around my divorce, I, I think as well. So all these things, it was, uh, you mentioned uh, 2008. So I was a commercial real estate broker in 2008, 2009, 2010. I'm, there's still no money available. And people don't understand. It's not about if you're in that industry and there is no money, then there is no money. You can't do business. So it was that it started divorce, all these things. And I went into taking care of myself. So I, I did all the Tony Robbins stuff. I did uh, everything you can imagine, but physical health led to mental health. Mental health led to physical health, uh, changing the way I eat. I stopped eating meat. I haven't eaten meat in uh, you know, 14, 15 years and, uh, and then sugar and, and food combined, all these different things. However, which, which got me out of the hole and got me moving. However, there's a fine line between you know, am I doing this for uh, making me feel better to am I doing this to a point of it's my next achievement? Yes, it's positive in a way, but am I now trying to do this ultra marathon, ultra runners, and I'm going to do a hundred of them in a year. And now it's my new addiction kind of thing. I'm doing air quotes for those of you who can't uh, see me. So do you see any uh, correlation of that? For sure. And I think in the world of ultra, uh, there's no secret that there's a lot of uh, former addicts, right, who have now potentially, you know, uh, the, the substituted ultra uh, for for that same addiction. And I think, uh, sure, I'm sure there's some of that for me, although what's different about it is that um, it became a source of deep joy and um uh, it, it, you know, resilience in a way that fed itself. And what I mean by that, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the, the time in which I finished. It was just the experience of enduring the pain that is very real and dealing with what otherwise could be suffering. Right. You know, I love the way, you know, Eastern uh, philosophy and religion really talks about there's pain and there's suffering. They're two different things. Right. And I think the world of ultra really allowed me to not only reconnect with my body and my breath in particular, but also have the experience of being in a very dark place and being okay with it and recognizing that if you just keep one foot in front of the next, that was a reward in and of itself, on top of which was hours and hours out in the mountains. That was something I really needed. It was really restorative and healing at a time that I needed it. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I and I think your analogy of this, it, it you can take that into your your work, into your life. It's about the journey, not about the finish line where you get there. Just you know, enjoy the journey. And also, I I think this is a Tony Robbins thing. It's going to be like a lot of Tony Robbins quotes uh, that he said: uh, "Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional." 
So yeah. that's the kind of thing it's, uh, you know, Goggins does this the best out of anybody I've seen. He's like, well, you don't, you don't know me. <laughs> I'm going to go barefoot with broken feet, but I'm still going to finish. And I'm going to do a hundred, uh, you know, pull-ups afterwards. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, well, it's, it's so fascinating. You bring up Tony because uh, yeah, way back when in the summer of 1989, I read his book, Unlimited Power and, and, and he had a big impact on, on me and still does. Um, but the, the world of uh, ultra was uh, only possible for me, Len, because I did commit to a whole new lifestyle routine. And that started with uh, very much with nutrition and regular frequent exercise. Yeah. And I was still busy, you know, sort of recovering my business in a way. So I was as busy as ever, but I committed to two, three days a week. I get to get out and do something and, 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 and to, you know, help with all that. Uh, diet was a huge part of it. So went plant-based, but what really changed everything for me around nutrition was the role of what I'll call super herbs, right? And and and, and cannabis and hemp in particular being uh, the, the most central one for me that, uh, you know, w- was total by happenstance, right? Growing up, I thought that cannabis, the, that was the next step to heroin and, uh, of, you know, a lifetime at Rikers, right? Like yeah. I, I was not all about that in any way, shape or form, even though I went to University of Vermont, which was, you know, a huge, uh, you know, party school. Um, but I read an article in the Denver Post in early 2013 that was talked about this, uh, th- this plant. There were reports of therapeutic and medicinal properties associated with hemp, a derivative of cannabis that this is where I almost fell off my chair, that were non-psychoactive and legal. And, uh, you know, the reason I almost fell off my chair is I started my legal career as an assistant DA prosecuting cannabis crimes. Nobody told me anything about hemp that had these therapeutic properties. And I thought, and the article talked about anxiety, recovery. I thought, okay, this might be an alternative that I'd been looking for for Zoloft to get off of that, right? Now it'd been five years, I think I'd been on it. And uh, that led me to then start to really dig into cannabis and then other herbs that have these, uh, you know, incredible uh, uh, properties uh, therapeutically uh, and medicinally. So when you uh, dug into it deeper, uh, at what point did you say, okay, you know what, this is what I need to do. Like I, I have a career, I have a business and all that stuff, but here it's connecting to something that I'm passionate about. When did you make that shift? You know, I, it's a great question, Len. I think, honestly, when I read um, about and really started to understand uh, the endocannabinoid system and uh, uh, realized that uh, this endocannabinoid system was so intimately uh, related to uh, you know, uh, receptors inside the brain, inside the central nervous system, the fight or flight response. When I started to understand that, I thought, oh boy, here we go, right? Because if, if, if cannabinoid therapy, right, which in my mind was just like, okay, what is it? It's hemp extract? Okay, I, I don't care what's in it. If it does what the, the, the medical research, right, shows, that it downregulates the stress response, right? The HPA axis, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenals, right? If it downregulates that, oh my God, this could be the way I can help wean myself off of, of Zoloft. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is exactly what happened. 
I don't want to say it's this magic silver bullet because unfortunately that's what I think has happened a lot with CBD, right? Where, oh, it's the next steak oil. It does everything to everybody, right? And that discounts the science, the real science behind how cannabinoid therapy can, uh, can, can nourish this endocannabinoid system to bring the body back into balance. And I think we can all agree. Well, I know for sure I was way out of balance. And I think societally, generally, we can all agree that most of us live in a state of, you know, imbalance most of the time. Yeah, I don't think most people even know there's an endocannabinoid system that's uh, responsible for, you know, balance and homeostasis. And they don't understand how it works. So like having these conversations is really important. You know, highlighting uh, Dr. Rafael Mishulam's passing, uh, you know, I don't know when this is going to air, but let's say uh, a week ago. Uh, you know, a person that's probably the biggest, uh, and I know um, Lemire did a lot of work in the endocannabinoid system, but out of everybody who was uh, more prominent, I think uh, Dr. Michelin was definitely the man. But it's 1992. The, the endocannabinoid system was only discovered in 1992. You talk to medical professionals who never even heard of it. So it's uh, it's definitely important to have these conversations. So what at that point, your your own uh, therapeutics, your your own treatment, what you started doing, what led you to uh, you know start uh, Pure Power Botanicals? Yeah, uh, Len, you know my my business started to flourish again in a big way, and within just you know a year of that rock bottom moment, I had a, a couple of parties interested in buying the business. Ultimately, sold the business, and uh, it, it, the the question was, what next? Right, uh, and uh, what we haven't talked about, but I'll mention quickly, my co-founder and cousin, first cousin, Sean McCabe, he suffered a traumatic brain injury in late 2015. By this point, I'm well into this journey, right? And I'm reading more and more research around, in particular, the neuroprotective elements of uh, cannabinoids and, and some other herbs, botanicals. And so I mentioned to Sean, hey, listen, I think experience maybe experiment a little bit with CBD and some of the things I've been taking. He did. That wasn't a world that he was familiar with at all, but he sort of went on my word and he started to experience gains, lower anxiety, given that he was rendered back to square one, couldn't ride a bike, right? Couldn't drive a car. And he felt like it really helped him sleep more deeply, manage his anxiety. And so as I'm sort of wrapping up the sale of my business, Sean is in the midst of his rehabilitation. And I mentioned to him, listen, I'm carrying around, you know, in my suitcase, 10, 12 different bottles of ashwagandha here and turmeric, because I noticed something with the combination of them that just seemed to make sense. And that there were no products out there at all that that that, that was combining hemp extract with these other herbs. And so I, I I floated the idea with Sean. And the idea with Pure Power was how can we tap into that? That, that, that genius that's within us, right? That the body, given the right ingredients and support, will really thrive. And Sean and I, that was our experience. So that's really how Pure Power was born. And what, what was the ultimate, like, what was the mission of Pure Power? Did you want to say, okay, we're going to create uh, Ayurvedic herbs or we're going to create uh, mixed cannabinoids yes. with uh, different substances and and then deliver new people across the U.S. kind of thing. Yeah, that was generally it. It was the idea that 
one and one plus, uh, you know, one plus one really can equal three. And I just remember, you know, hearing and then reading about traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda going way back to when I served at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, right? The idea of holistic health and Ayurveda was there in the back of my mind. And so it was the idea of how to bring, you know, the best combinations of, of herbs and minerals that can act synergistically, right? And we searched for months and months and months to find the right herbalist to find the right combination. And we were really focused on three areas. Mm-hmm. One is just um, uh, energy, was just sustainable energy with low caffeine. Uh, the second was uh, recovery. And that has two dimensions to it, right? Sleep is probably the primary component of recovery, but then also inflammation reduction and, you know, detoxifying the body. So that's where we focused. And um, it, yeah, it was, it was really uh, also tied with uh, helping people remain active uh, through the course of their lives. And, and we started with, who else? Pro athletes, right? Because yeah. if that could really move the needle for pro athletes, then we knew we were onto something. And so we seeded the product with some pro athletes, in particular, ultra endurance trail runners. They were interviewed by magazines and we end up in runner's world and then bicycling and it really put us on the map. And uh, all of a sudden we had orders coming in from, uh, from around the world. That's, that's amazing. Um, because one of the questions I was, uh, I was trying to write when I was, uh, when I was planning the interview was, how do you drown out all the noise? There are so many CBD. There are CBD pillows. There are CBD underwear, which makes no sense, but fine. How do you drown out all the noise? And how do you differentiate yourself from everybody else? Because this is a group of CBD products. And people are starting to get, as you said, it's snake oil. If you hear like, ah, you know what? It's a bunch of nonsense. How do you make yeah. sure that you elevate yourself to that level that's it's different than than what others are doing. I, I think it takes a, a lot of uh, conversations like this, right? Awareness and education. And for us, it was never about CBD. Uh, we're not a CBD company. Uh, you know, if we had to describe ourselves in a product oriented way, it would be a super herbs company, right? That, that certainly hemp extract known as CBD plays an important role, but it's not the main show. The main show is the synergistic impacts that these combinations of things do to the human body, right? The brain and the body. And so for us, yeah, I think that's been uh, honestly our saving grace all these years. We launched at the end of 2018. So many companies have, you know, uh, sprung up and, and gone away because they were just all about CBD. And, and so uh, that focus on remaining active through the course of your life, uh, recovering more effectively has really resonated. Power Down, our sleep product, is our number one selling product, I think, because more and more people know if you don't sleep well, you're not recovering well, you're not performing well, and you're likely curtailing the length of your life, right, without good sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Quality sleep is very, very important to recovery. Um, in, in terms of your... Um, sort of market penetration and being able to uh, provide, I, I guess, data is what I'm, what I'm trying to figure out. So yes, you have testimonials from, uh, you know, different people are using it 
but how do we know the efficacy of these formulations? Have you have you done any uh, research, any observational studies? Uh, I know it's hard to do like real clinical research in this space, but I'm just curious. It, it, it is it is challenging without uh, you know deep deep pockets ready to to, to throw at those you know uh, those kind of trials. Mm-hmm. I think for us it's looking at all the science that's tied to and proven around the ingredients themselves, right? Whether it be ashwagandha, right? Or turmeric and hemp itself. And so I think the general public has this, uh, rightly so, this this lack of understanding uh, about the scientific backdrop to some of these herbs and hemp being the biggest one because of misinformation, right? And, And just lack of awareness. And so for us, it's here, let's show you the studies. And we've, you know, I think we're up to nearly 200 content pieces on our website that gets into the science behind the ingredients Mm -hmm. and then draw your own conclusions about the benefits you'll likely derive from those ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. We can't make claims because the FDA will send you a letter. So we have to be really careful about that, but that's, that's all we have. We can only do observational studies. Uh, I mean, we do clinical uh, studies, but uh, that's what like Harvard Medical, they're actually doing clinical. They have they have the deep pockets that can afford that. But in the industry, observational uh, feedback is the best e- e- we can get at this point. Well, and, and I think it's so important that the, the public is aware of this and that institutions like Harvard continue to dig deeper and, uh, and, 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 um, and, and prove out what I think has been known for eons, right, in, in, in traditional Chinese medicine, which is cannabis has incredible therapeutic properties, certainly some toxic ones at, at, at you know, at, at, at uh, has a risk of overuse for sure. But, but, but this, this, uh, now I'm going to put my sort of lawyer hat on who's been inside Fortune 500 organizations dealing with regulatory bodies like the FDA, uh, the current stance uh, of uh, that unnamed government agency around CBD is, uh, in, in my humble opinion, uh, deplorable. And I think it should be an alert for every American to wake up and say, hey, wait a second, which which regulatory body was at the helm uh, over the course of 15 years when hundreds of thousands of Americans' lives were lost due to opioid addiction, yeah, right? 100%. And, and now their position about, oh, uh, you know, CBD can't uh, regulate as dietary supplement danger, danger uh, uh, on some very flimsy uh, references to, you know, liver and male reproduction. Anyway, I- I'll get off my lawyer. So no, 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 no. I mean, I love the, we can talk about this for hours, man. I, the, all they have to do is follow the money trail. I, I'm not going to mention any companies, but there is a company. There's one that has an FDA approved drug that was out there. Everybody can research it. And they were acquired by, uh, billions of dollars, uh, more recently, by an Irish uh, company, as a, as a matter of fact. And if you look at the studies that the FDA is drawn on, there are liver toxicity studies that have been conducted during that clinical trial. Well, if you really read through the research, you're talking about a tremendous amount of cannabidiol that's been consumed by children. So yes, there is going to be liver toxicity, but if you take a handful of acetaminophen and you pop you will have some liver toxicity as well. And I, I like what you said about overuse, dosing, but it's dosing with anything. And don't understand this whole blame on the substance when it's the person. We don't blame 
you know, absolute vodka or schrock because, oh shit, I drank way too much vodka. Oh no, P. Diddy, you sold me this horrible uh, product, schrock. What, what is that? It's about you. And we just, it yes. never made any sense to me. I, I think, again, sort of with my uh, somewhat cynical lawyer hat on, uh, it, it, it's, it's fueled in part by real knowledge that they have and they being, you know, these influences about the real power of, of, of cannabis generally and hemp in particular. And, 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 and that, that, um, you know, it, 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 it potentially undermines and threatens products that understandably they spend lots of money to build. But I think that to shoulder out the category overall and sort of keep people from the truth is uh, deplorable. So tell me uh, the decision to write a book and what's your book about? Yeah, the, the book is uh, uh, really a, 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 an opportunity for me to give back in a very small way. You know, books and, and, and those that have talked about their own journeys. Uh, I mentioned a few on our com- in, our com- in our conversation. Um, you just I wanted to share some of the research and the anecdotal, uh, uh, you know, experience of, you know, current and former pro athletes um, to, to raise awareness uh, that I didn't have. As I shared with you in that moment, I read the article in the Denver Post, I almost fell off my chair. I thought more people need to know about this and they need to know the science behind it. Um, and I published that at the end of 2018. Um, uh, proud to say it hit uh, you know bestseller in a couple of different categories. And, and it, it, it's, I, I feel like more of it's needed. Because well, what's, what happened, the name of, what's the name of the book? Plants, Performance, and the Endocannabinoid System, 21st Century Sports Medicine. And, it's, and, it, and I think it's, you know, we see it, right? CBD all of a sudden started to show up on the cover of magazines and, 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 and you know, a lot of misinformation, I think, started to get out there. Um, and and my, this was just my effort to both share my personal journey and say, there's real science behind this. Here's where to look. Uh, do you consume your own products when you're doing your endurance uh, challenges? Yes. yes. So it's it's a daily regimen. And then when I'm uh, going into events uh, and we've got a, a an athlete team, uh, yes, uh, I definitely uh, leverage uh, each of the products for their own benefits. So what's your uh, your personal like um, experience with uh, with cannabis? You said you didn't grow up. Uh, with cannabis, I, I mean, it's a question I ask. I ask them, please describe your first experience with cannabis. But I, I, I the reason why I'm, I'm asking this question this way, where I normally don't ask, because I really want to also reflect back on your family, because there's traditional values. Oh shit! Now Don is in the weed business. You know, he's the drug dealer. Uh, I know from personal experience, I was getting that until family members started having ailments and they started calling me up. So I wanted to, and then you have kids too. So I want to see what that uh, feedback is yeah. with, with the family dynamic. Yeah. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's something that, again, it was real late in life for me in many respects in my early forties. And, um, you know, uh, I feel grateful to live in Colorado uh, that that's, that's been a real forerunner in this whole arena. Um, again, I'll caveat this all by saying that, uh, the, the rush for legalization uh, ought not overlook the dangers hidden therein, particularly with much higher concentrate and uh, uh, developmental, right? I mean, science has shown, right, uh, uh, you know, THC for the younger brain, not, not very good, 
right? Yeah. And actually even better for the older brain, right? With studies in mice that show the older mice actually do much, much better with certain functions. So anyway, that's all to say, uh, for me, it's been um, uh, really eye-opening and uh, a recognition that there's clearly therapeutic applications. And, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, for my children, it, it, an open conversation around just what I mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, you follow the science and the science shows younger brain subjected to THC on a regular basis, probably not going to be too good. And there are, right, in states that have legalized, there's some evidence of really bad outcomes when you're doing much more serious dabbing and high concentrate. Listen, you know, it's going to bind to receptors and it's going to cause addictive type tendencies, right? So I've taken that approach. And yet uh, I, I, I see it as something that um, clearly is going to benefit me uh, through the course of my life, particularly as I age but used very responsibly. And for me, what that looks like is uh, it's, it's uh, in the way of a therapeutic, very low dose, as much as you might use alcohol to relax, which for me, alcohol is still part of my life, but it no longer controls me and nor will any other substance ever again. Um, so what about your parents? Uh, you know, having this uh, and and siblings. I'm assuming that the siblings are okay with it. But uh, what what about the parents? What was their uh, feedback? I think initially it was pretty probably. Uh, if I had to imagine, some alarm bells went off for sure, <laughs> to say the least. But they they've opened uh, you know open arms. I think uh, in part because my mom, you know, before the you know supplement industry became what it was in the 70s and 80s. She had the vitamin Bible. She was going to vitamin cottage. And I saw her sort of open her dad, my, my grandfather, to these things in a way that I saw him, like he did pretty well until his you know, mid 80s. And um, so I think they've, they've warmed up to, listen, if science shows and individual experience shows healthy outcomes, that this is actually a net benefit, why, why wouldn't? Why wouldn't you look into it and 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 start to integrate it into your life? Yeah, I think it's amazing where we are from where we were 15, 20 years ago that, you know, the science and people are starting to have a completely different connection than, you know, this is your brain on drugs. As you said, my dad was the same way. It's like heroin and cannabis. It's like a line, same thing. And he doesn't believe in that now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have some questions I ask uh, all my guests. You're uh, welcome to answer or, or not, uh, which is fine as well. Uh, but the first question is, please describe your uh, first experience with cannabis. Uh, you know, I, I think that um, thinking back, it was, uh, I want to say, um, got it, it, it must have been in my late 20s. And it was uh, with a, a, a close friend, and it was um, uh, it, it was interesting in the sense that I had this preconceived notion of something very very bad happening, and uh, and and actually it was a it, it was a, a a very enlightening experience, and um, one that really uh, yeah I thought wow that's. Uh, not what I expected, uh, and uh, and also, I think I've always had a bit of a, 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 a connection with myself that 
in terms of what I consume and its impacts on me, I also respected it. Like I knew that there was real power in it and, you know, with power comes great responsibility. And so I treated it that way really and and continue to do so uh, because it it does have that power. And I think that's why you see in indigenous cultures, these things are not used willy nilly, right? They're typically part of a ritual that's treated almost reverentially for the things that unlocks. Yeah. I, I I think you said it. I'm sort of going off script my, uh, what I mean, but I'm going back to what you said about uh, concentrates and all these other things. I think that if people really read the science and unless somebody really has extreme pain, like stage four pancreatic, we, we deal with pancreatic cancer. Right. There are exceptions to the rule. That's why, you know, having a RSO type of a substance or a FICO type of substance, which is a, a Rick Simpson oil or for a full extra cannabis oil, there is a time and place for those. But when you're using them, I can't stand this word recreational, but when you're using them uh, for whatever reason you're using them for, THC has a very narrow therapeutic window. So you're not actually getting the benefits of it. You're doing the opposite of it. Yes, you'll get euphoric, you'll get high, but then you have free radical anandamide that's free flowing through your bloodstream. Your immune system is going to overreact. And when you have that, there is everything is a seesaw. It's a balance, right? So you have something that's going to be out of whack because you have that. So you're not doing yourself any favor by you know consuming high amounts of THC, quote unquote, recreationally. Yes. And I think it's one of the reasons that it steered me, you know, that the, 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 um, the, the, the health benefits associated with hemp extract, right. Without some of those more high powered, potentially negative outcomes with THC is why, you know, hemp for me is, you know, whatever age, right. It's going to have some benefits because of back to that endocannabinoid system. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Let's talk some music stuff. Uh, I don't know. Um, if you were for the next year, if you had to listen to five albums and that's it, that's it. No Spotify, only those five albums. Uh, what would they be? And I'm, I'm asking this question with a caveat because I, people ask me and it can change tomorrow or two hours from now. I'm just capturing a, a moment in time right now. I, I love it. I love it. Well, uh, I'm going to uh, date myself for sure, uh, to some extent, but, um, uh, I've been reconnecting with an artist that had such an impact on me uh, in my teen and early adult years, uh, and that is none other than John Mellencamp. So it'd be definitely a John Mellencamp uh, album. Um, I'm going to see John Mellencamp in two weeks. I love it. Life. I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, so that's one. Uh, is certainly uh, um, uh, for me, and I'll also date myself here. Uh, Bob Seger has always uh, been uh, a, an artist that I've uh, really connected with. Uh, another uh, that I'm uh, 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 proud to say that really had such a heavy influence in my ending up in Colorado, uh, none other than John Denver. Uh, his music had a big impact on me in my early teen years. Um, and uh, I would say, uh, you know, I, I, have a, 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 I like to think of pretty eclectic. And so, uh, you know, I, I, Brazilian music I've really fallen, fallen in love with. So I would say, uh, a Brazilian playlist would, would be on the top of that list. And then the last one, Len, is uh, near and dear to my heart, and that is uh, the, the Chieftains and Van Morrison. They've done some collaborations, and I just uh, love, uh, you know, Irish music. Cool. Yeah, it's great. Um, you remember what the very first concert you ever attended was? It was, um, 
uh, I would say uh, sort of the big first concert, absolutely hands down, was uh, John Mellencamp. And I remember it was in ETH Rutherford in the Meadowlands. And, um, you know, I just felt, uh, you know, in Cloud Nine to, to be uh, there at a show. Now, at that time, did he still have the Cougar or did he drop it? Uh, he had, I think he <laughs> just dropped it. And uh, that's a fascinating uh, history. And an artist that I really admire that he and, you know, Willie Nelson and others started Farm Aid, you know, way back in the 80s to stand up for, you know, the uh, family farms. And yet uh, he himself still, you know, stood out at the time of the Gulf War to speak against it and get booed at his own Farm Aid and still just live by what he saw as, as right. That's great. Uh, what was the last concert you ever attended? Uh, last concert uh, this past summer, uh, my beautiful girlfriend Andrea got us tickets to go see uh, uh, Lyle Lovett and Chris Isaac at Red Rocks. Yeah, I saw. I didn't see uh, Red Rocks, but I saw it in, in LA. Yeah, they were good. Um, what has cannabis meant in your life? Um, I think um, it's meant uh, 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 just open my eyes to the power of plants. And that sounds very generic, but it's, 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 it's been life-changing for me and will for the rest of my life. I think that, you know, in the West, uh, understandably, we've gone to a more reactionary, you know, treat the symptom. Um, but uh, I've uh, appreciated from my own experience with cannabis that uh, cannabis and other plants, um, you know, hold so much power and I think in many indigenous cultures, right, they, they recognize that it was a part of their lives. And I'd like to see that more and more in, in our own, because I think it, it's a reminder of our connection to nature that we've lost so much of in our drive toward, uh, you know, bigger and faster uh, technology. Yeah, that's totally, totally makes sense. All right. So last uh, bonus question. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. Oh, I, I love it. Great question. Um, so yeah, again, one of seven, uh, you know, uh, uh, what se seven kids in three bedrooms. So you know how those numbers work out. And I was with my two brothers in our uh, bedroom uh, and I was always on the top bunk. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, the room was uh, full of uh, magazine cutouts uh, from everything from, uh, you know, uh, motor motocross magazines, because I very much uh, turned on by that but equally as much by outside magazines. So I was one of the early uh, ones to get drawn to outside magazines. So I had pictures of, you know, sea kayaking off the Alaskan coast and things like that in, in my bedroom. Got it. No, no uh, music uh, posters from my, uh, no team beat, like heartthrob ladies. Yeah. You know, <laughs> music was very, uh, in many respects, traditional in my family. Like, you know, it was, it was church music, or Irish music. That was it. Uh, so uh, sports was the name of the game. Got it. Cool. Well, uh, Don, where can people uh, connect with you, find out more about your company, get your book, or whatever else you want them to engage with uh, your content? Great, Len. Uh, best place for Pure Power Botanicals is on social at Pure Power Life, Pure Power Life, just like it sounds, or our website is live purepower.com. Again, just like it sounds, livepurepower.com. And then on social, uh, folks can find me there, Don McLaughlin uh, Jr. on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Great. Uh, Don, thank you so much. This has been informative. I love what you're doing. I, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to tell your story because I think it just amplifies. There's a lot of people that are 
it's not just about, you know, cannabis, CBD, but it's about going through this journey of hitting some dark spots and knowing there's an opportunity for light and then being able to take that and then shine that light on other people. So I really commend you for doing that. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. Oh, it's all my uh, uh, pleasure and, and feel honored to, to, to uh, be part of our conversation, Len. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.